Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Josh Burson about his latest annual report on the HR technology market published March 16th, 2021. The 2021 report addresses important sector trends, including a move from HR technology to work technology, a focus on employee experience, including the wider implications of the introduction of Microsoft Viva, and the growth of systems of productivity to make work easier. Josh Burson, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm Happy to be here. It is a real thrill, and I'm feeling a little bit um, starstruck as I have the opportunity to interview you today. Uh, I've done hundreds of interviews on this podcast, um, and some with some very well-known and notable guests, um, but I, I think no one quite as uh, notable or, or as you know, really just far-reaching as you. I think everyone listening knows um, when they think of HR and tech and those sorts of topics they think of Josh Burson. So it's a real pleasure to have the opportunity to talk with you today. We're going to be exploring your recent uh, report that just came out a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. on, on the HR technology market. Mm-hmm. Um, the 20, 2021 report addresses important sector trends, uh, and you'll get us into all of that and talk about some of the key takeaways. Before we do that, though, I wanted to share Josh's bio with everyone. Josh Burson founded Burson and Associates in 2001 to provide research and advisory services focused on corporate learning. He expanded the company's coverage to encompass HR, talent management, talent acquisition, and leadership and became a recognized expert in the talent market. Burson sold the company to Deloitte in 2012 and was a partner in Burson by Deloitte up until 2018. In 2019, Burson founded the Josh Burson Academy, a professional development academy, which has become the home for HR. In 2020, he put together a team of analysts and advisors who are now working with him to support and guide HR organizations from around the world. Recently published research covers topics such as business resilience in the pandemic, HR technology market trends, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. He is frequently featured in publications such as Forbes, Harvard Business Review, HR Executive, The Wall Street Journal, and CLO Magazine. He's a popular blogger and has more than 800,000 followers on LinkedIn. And I could go on and on and on with all of your accomplishments. That's Um, enough. (laughs) But I figure I can can see your face as as I'm reading through that. I'm like, hmm. I think you, you uh, seem to be a very modest man, and uh, and uh, I appreciate your your modesty and humility. Uh, but I'm again, just trying it, to help people. It's you know, it's nice that it's been successful, but it's been uh, you know mostly just the journey of trying to figure out how to make HR departments and organizations better. 
Well, and that's one of the things I love about you, Josh. Uh, I, as I was saying pre-interview before we hit record, I've been following your work for a really long time. And you've always just come across as incredibly down to earth and relatable and focused on what you just said, focusing on helping organizations and people within those organizations be more successful. And that's the same goal I have. Um, and I, I just really applaud all of the work that thank you've you. done. And yeah. Uh, it, yeah, so thank you for joining me today. Okay, so this new report just came out mm-hmm. on March 16th. Uh, it followed up another big report that you had earlier in the year on um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, mm-hmm. And where we can touch on that one a little bit too, if you would like, but walk us through some of the highlights of what came out of this research and what's included in this report. And then we can start to dig into some specifics. Sure. This, the, this big study of the HR tech market is a never ending project for me. It happens to get published once a year, but it's pretty much my life or at least part of my life day to day, week to week. And so, you know, if you take a, a one-year snapshot of what's going on in, in the technology part of HR, um, there are just a couple of really big things that have ha- been happening. One is, of course, remote work and hybrid work and, um, and video and, and online and AI and all the technologies. But the second is we don't really need, use HR technology to implement processes anymore. We use it to design things. So um, in some sense, like a lot of the other internet technologies are becoming creator tools like Spotify as a creator tool and TikTok as a creator tool. The HR tech companies are starting to build creator tools too because we have to create and design employee experiences and journeys that meet the needs of today, which are different than they were a year ago. So, um, so the market's adapted a lot. And then we have some pretty big players that weren't here a year ago, like Microsoft and others. So it's, it's a pretty dynamic um, part of the world, part of the market. Yeah, and maybe we can speak to some of those new players really briefly. Um, now, obviously, Microsoft's been around for forever. And, yeah. and I'm sure lots of people have utilized Microsoft Teams uh, in this past year. If you're not using Teams or Zoom or one of these platforms, you're living in a cave somewhere, I think. Um, but w- describe a little bit how Microsoft has burst back on the scene uh, with regards to HR tech. Yeah, well, the Microsoft story is a really interesting um, his, historical situation. My, I, I worked with Microsoft in the 1970s and 1980s. I was actually at IBM when the PC was launched. So I've been involved. I've been following Microsoft since since the world's, world, world of DOS, <laughs> which most people don't even know what that is. But anyway, um, you know, it's a massive company with uh, 70% of corporations use Microsoft tools for word processing, email, uh, messaging, um, document management, database, applications, and so forth. And um, we, we've been work. when I was at Deloitte, I couldn't really work with Microsoft because Deloitte was the auditor of Microsoft. But I, um, right after I left, uh, we spent a lot of time with Microsoft. And the people we worked with there were both the HR department and um, people who worked on various learning tools. And we had a few chief learning officer groups come up with us to Microsoft. And when Microsoft would show off some of their tools, the CLOs would be like, whoa, I didn't know you guys did that. You do this video thing. You do that transcription thing. You, Gee, we do we have those 
tools and the Microsoft sales rep would go, yeah, yeah, your IT department's licensed, all that stuff. So there was this awakening going on that, wow, a lot of these things Microsoft's been building are actually pretty good in the learning, initially in the learning space. And of course, Microsoft acquired a technology um, in um, workplace analytics, which, which, which is embedded into Microsoft 365. Uh, they were building and are building all sorts of indexing technology. They have a video service called Stream and all these things were getting sold to IT and the HR people didn't even know about them, to be honest. <clears throat> and one of the things that happened was partly from our meetings with a lot of Microsoft product managers is the product guys started to light up and say, ooh, there's a bunch of people out here in this HR learning part of business that could potentially be customers of ours. And, <clears throat> and they awakened to the point, to the fact that in fact, there's another big thing going on, which is companies are trying to build a, an integrated employee experience because of course Teams exploded in growth. It was wildly successful as a communication platform. And so all these product managers that had the diff these different application areas um, came together and created this thing called Viva. And what Viva is and the way it's positioned is it is, it is an employee experience platform. Um, now that is a name that I actually coined a couple of years ago um, in, a, in a little bit of an earlier um, implementation. And it is really a platform that is designed to integrate many, many of the employee apps that we have at work. And it turns out if you look at um, how many apps people have, the average large company has 120 employee applications. And I'm sure a lot of them, there's more than that, but that's as many as Okta could find. So, so we have a situation where we have a pandemic, people are working at home, they're trying to be online, they're trying to be more collaborative, they're busy, they're overworked, they're getting too many interruptions, they have all these applications. And you know, why wouldn't you want something to integrate it all together? Along comes Microsoft and they have this suite of tools to do that. So, so that's what Viva is and it's, it's disruptive to the market for a whole bunch of reasons. There's a learning application in there that, would that will potentially disrupt a lot of the learning vendors. Um, there's an analytics application in there that's potentially a place to integrate a lot of well-being tools and productivity tools. They have a, a very advanced indexing technology that can help you find and search and locate experts using what's called the Microsoft Graph, which is all of the content and documents and exchange messages that you send. And then they have a pool called a, 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 an app called um, Connections, which is basically an employee portal, which is also another massive part of HR. So, so they have in one fell swoop kind of, you know, ripped across these four big areas of HR technology. And uh, because it's built on so much existing Microsoft technology, most big companies already have a lot of the underlying pieces they need to implement Viva. So it's getting a huge amount of attention and it's a very, very important technology for, for every HR department. And I think Microsoft's going to be very successful with it. Yeah, well, that's super interesting. And I know, so I'm a university professor and I do consulting on the side, including, you know, things like this podcast. Um, but at, at my university, as many um, universities have, well, pretty much all universities have had to do over this past year is we had to, you know, snap our fingers and go virtual almost overnight. And we have, like, to your point, we had all of these tools already existing. 
Right. But nobody knew how to use them. We weren't actually utilizing them, uh, not even remotely close to the extent uh, that they're capable. And it, it's taken us about a year to get to the point where I feel like we're actually utilizing a lot of the tools that we have. And now we, we can even expand upon what, what we have for, with Viva and uh, other accompanying tools that can enhance the experience that we have in the learning space for our students. The other piece that you just mentioned is, is really the disruptive piece. And of course, I, my ears perk up when I think about uh, HR and learning disruption as an HR professor, uh, teaching HR courses at a university, because, you know, the, the, the entire um, academic world and higher ed is, is ripe for disruption. And I think this is just one more piece that could really shake things up. And it'll be super interesting to see how this plays out in the coming years. Well, and, and universities will probably be big, big customers of this because these are not super expensive products. These are built on things that a lot of IT departments already have. So if unlike going out and buying Workday or something, which is a big cost, you know, big, big sort of a new big capital expense, I think a lot of these tools are just going to get turned on and then they'll just be sort of new license fees to Microsoft. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been amazed in, you know, having known Microsoft technology for my, most of my career, how much of it is out there that even IT departments don't use all of it. <laughs> so this is a way to bring it all to, to light. So, so that's one piece that's super interesting. I appreciate you um, highlighting that a little bit. Uh, so let's explore some of these other pieces uh, from your report, because they're many and varied. Uh, you, you mentioned briefly about the well-being component, mm-hmm. the, the wellness component that that is part right. of what Viva can do. Um, but obviously, Microsoft isn't the only vendor out there, and there are other companies doing similar things. We also uh, see a lot of movement in talent mobility and in that space and the technologies that are coming online. I was just interviewing a gentleman from the UK that runs a talent mobility uh, platform uh, just last week. And it was fascinating to hear about everything that uh, that they're doing and how they're trying to streamline the process of, of working in a global labor market. Uh, what, what did your report have to say about some of those elements? Sure. <clears throat> well, let's talk about maybe mobility first and well-being. Um, Telemobility is an interesting thing because it's been around for a long time and a lot of companies uh, thrived on it. GE, for example, or even IBM where I worked, people moved around a lot, but it was in a very um, deterministic way. Now, because the labor market's going to be very tight and companies are much more um, agile, people want to move more quickly and they want to work on projects that might be cross-functional or do part-time work in a developmental assignment and there's no way to find all those things. And then if you're a hiring manager, you know, you're going to hire on the outside before you're going to hire on the inside because you don't know how to find people on the inside because there's no job market for people on the inside. And so we actually did a study and found that more than two thirds of uh, employees believe it's easier to find a job outside the company than it is inside the company. Mm-hmm. So these new tools are what are called talent marketplace platforms, and they open up job recs inside and outside They do a lot of other things. They allow you to decompose work into projects and assign, uh, find people to work on different pieces. They have AI to recommend 
opportunities for you based on your experience and your interests. They allow you to find mentors <clears throat> in the company because they can treat a, a human person as a mentor, just like a piece of digital learning. Um, and then they're also to some degree career and development platforms. So if you want to advance your career in a particular direction, it's a place for the company to put this career path and developmental assignments in a more formal way. So there's really a massive market for this. And I think the mobility tools are going to be the center of um, talent management to some degree over the next few years. And just about everybody, every company I talk to is, is looking at this or investing in it. excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. In the area of well-being, it's a totally different situation. There are thousands and thousands of companies and tools and apps and you know, crazy ideas, blue light, red light, get more sleep, eat more of this, drink more of that. Uh, and then of course at work, we have the issue of stress, overwork. Um, you, know, you know, perhaps you have a boss you don't get along with, a company that's, that's pushing you too hard, maybe you feel underpaid. All of these things have totally piled up. Add the pandemic, add working at home, add your kids in the house, and worried about getting sick, and we're at sort of an all-time high level of stress. Funny thing about it is we're also at an all-time high level of employee engagement. So what we have going on basically in the, work, in the workforce is people are um, working very, very hard. They like their jobs because their jobs in some ways are a refuge from the um, risk and uncertainty of the pandemic, but they're also stressed out about it. So companies are looking at a lot of new ideas to reduce that level of stress and make it easier on people. Um, now, the Microsoft tool is basically a tool that allows you to find spare time and for managers to see if people are overworked. There's uh, AI-based tools that will allow you to find a coach, get direct you towards videos or audios or podcasts to help you understand how to be healthier. Uh, there's financial fitness tools to help you learn how to balance your checkbook or take out a loan. Companies are throwing in, you know, health benefits and fertility benefits and exercise yoga. My daughter teaches yoga online part-time for companies, lots of things like that. Um, 
And in fact, it's reached the point now where in the United States, 32% of payroll is spent on these kinds of non-wage benefits to help people. And I don't, I'm not, I don't think that's too much. I think that's an indication that uh, jobs are extremely important. People are doing more important things than ever. A lot of the routine work has been automated away. So the, so the jobs we're in are more complex and we need the company to support us in new and different ways. Um, a lot of companies have chief health officers um, and these are people now that are sort of taking responsibility for public health inside the company. You know, it's really an issue inside the company and not just of health, but also of productivity. When I was at Deloitte, we had, you know, this interesting project where the woman who was in charge of well-being was trying to figure out why the retention rate was particularly low. And there were, there were a lot of people burned out, which happens in consulting firms. And, you know, so there were, it turned out, we found out there were 90 benefits in Deloitte for different people to take advantage of, um, many of which were available for certain particular situations that you might have. But after really studying the problem of burnout, what Deloitte discovered was it had to, nothing to do with any of those things. It was the fact that at that particular point in time, the way Deloitte served clients is you would get on a plane Sunday afternoon, you would fly to the client Sunday night, you would be at the client Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday night, you'd come home, Friday, you'd go in the office, and Saturday, you'd get one day off. And people were exhausted. And, um, you know, actually, it wasn't that hard for Deloitte to figure out that the clients didn't really want you there for four days. Uh, you didn't really have to show up on Monday morning. You could leave on Monday. Maybe you didn't need to come at all. You could do it remotely. So they implemented a new flexible uh, consulting prop policy. It had a cute name. I can't remember the name. And it had a huge impact on well-being. So well-being is not just a bunch of fancy apps and benefits. It's also looking at the management team, giving people time, focusing people on um, fewer things to do, making sure job design is clear so people aren't vague as to where they should be spending their time. And this is, you know, this is reaching all aspects of HR now, leadership, um, the, H, the benefits department. Um, and it's a massive buying spree of people just buying stuff at this point. Um, and, and, I, and I think it's you know, moving in the right direction. I mean, the one thing I would say about it, just add one more point, is my preference and my wish, and I think some companies understand this, is that it is no longer viewed as a benefit, but really viewed as like a COE, a center of excellence, where the company really studies the issues of productivity and turnover and well-being and burnout, and then makes very specific Diagnose, diagnostic solutions as opposed to just buying lots of benefits and piling them on and hoping that people feel better about their jobs. Um, and that's where I think this is all going. Yeah. And that's, that's consistent with my experience. I've seen organizations that have the buffet of benefits. They have a zillion options and the vast majority of employees, you know, they pick and choose a, a few things here or there, but largely many of those benefits don't really get fully utilized uh, and all of this is happening. The buffet is there all while you have some of the most basic elements like you were describing with like that lead to burnout with extensive travel, um, not having enough uh, autonomy and flexibility around your schedule. Some of those basic things that go into job design and how we interact with each other that ultimately will have usually have a much larger uh, impact on the day-to-day 
employee experience uh, of people on your team. And so uh, while certainly these apps can be helpful and, you know, I get my weekly updates from, from Microsoft, you know, the automated email that says, you know, tells me how I'm spending Exactly. You know, that's, that's interesting. It's cool. I appreciate it. I've made a few adjustments because of it. That's good. Uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't have those tools, but, but uh, they're a complement to the things that should be happening within your teams already. uh, And they can't, they just can't replace it. Or, you know, that's not going to be enough to get the most out of your people, to engage people, to attract and retain the best people. um, If you're just throwing bells and whistles at them, right? Well, and, and, you know, I don't know if you saw this, this survey that came out. I don't think it was meant to be released, but Goldman, a bunch of Goldman Sachs. Did you see that? I mean, it's just yeah. you know, working 98 hours a week or something. Um, you know, and that, and that's honestly <laughs> why I went into academia. I, I had planned uh, following my master's degree. I had planned, I had, I had worked, uh, I'd interned with some consulting firms. I'd done some of that work. I was interviewing. I was planning on going that route. And, but after interviewing, and I, I remember walking home one day from, uh, from an interview and feeling dejected, not because it didn't go well, but because it did go well. And they confirmed my, my biggest fear that I would be traveling nonstop and that I'd be working 80 plus hours a week. Um, and that just wasn't what I wanted for me and my family. And so, you know, I, I walked home, my wife and I had a conversation. We decided to go on and get a PhD and, and go the academic <laughs> route, you know? So it, and now it, you it, just it, get it, ulcers instead worrying about your PhD. <laughs> there, there you go. Yep. Well, well very it's, good. It's, 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 that's the point is that the technology is not the solution. It's a piece of it, but you know, work design and management and, and culture have a huge amount to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Something else, as you were talking about mobility, um, it seems to me like there's a connection there and, and I suppose to wellness as well. I, I suppose there's a connection between all of this, but um, the, the diver- diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging space, right. uh, we need to be thinking more creatively about how to fully, you know, to create an inclusive and belonging culture within an organization and how we can leverage some of these technologies, this HR tech to support those initiatives and those efforts. And I think, for example, with the, with the uh, mobility space, we, we, all geographic boundaries and barriers have now been removed during this year of pandemic, right? Because everyone's just used to doing virtual work, which means I can literally hire anyone from anywhere to do what I need them to do for the company. And that was the case before, but most companies, they were still stuck in an old paradigm. And so the pandemic forced us to rethink, our, you know, and, and challenge our assumptions. So now you know, there's time difference, uh, time zone difference, but as long as you can manage time zone difference, you can literally work with cross-national teams remotely without constant travel and mm-hmm. get the best people working for your organization. But it is complicated because you have uh, employment law complexities around the world and all those types of things that, that organizations need to, to juggle and balance. But as I think about that, I think there's a tremendous opportunity for the DE&I space as in our initiatives within organizations to have um, more diverse teams and not only leverage the diversity, you know, the difference around the table, but actually fully integrate them into uh, the organization, making them feel valued and connected and, and that their input actually gets utilized. Uh, it seems like we are better positioned for that 
now than we were a year ago or maybe um, ever. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I would say yes, but um, actually our research did not find that. Our research found that this remains a very, very heavily unsolved problem. Uh, it is getting better, but it, and it's not a technology problem. Uh, it's, a, it's a business culture problem and a business leadership problem. Um, you know, there's still stories. Every day there's another story of a, a woman who's been harassed. Somebody found out they were underpaid. Somebody didn't get promoted. You know, every model of leadership, every data set of leadership that you ever see shows more males as you go up the pyramid, more white males usually. Um, you know, Asians are left out, et cetera. Um, so what we've discovered in our research, we just did a big study of this, is that um, the, the companies that are ahead of the curve in DEI look at inclusion and diversity as a business strategy, not an HR problem. The head of DEI can't change it that much. He or she can do a lot, but if you even if you recruit a diverse slate of candidates, but the culture of the company is not diverse, they won't stay. Um, That's right. And yeah. so, you know, if you look at Target, uh, you look at Unilever, you look at a lot of the companies that are pioneers and really excellent at DEI, they have they are inclusive by design. Their businesses are inclusive. They sell in an inclusive way. They reach customers in uh, diverse locations and communities and markets. They build products and services that are diverse. Oh, by the way, and they hire and take care of and manage people in a diverse way, as opposed to you know, let's take our little single-minded company and do everything we can to make it look as diverse as it can possibly be, which tends to usually not super, work super well. Um, yeah, and can I can I just comment on that? Yeah, absolutely right. I, I 100% agree with that. That diversity in and of itself doesn't mean much of anything uh, for an organization. Uh, you have to be able to build in uh, at its at its core the, the values and the principles that guide the organization and how it functions, the policies, practices, procedures, the leadership approach, everything that builds into that culture uh, is is absolutely important. So we're that's why we're we're searching for inclusive cultures, uh, cultures of belonging uh, within organizations. And unless you get there, then having difference around the table doesn't really mean much of anything other than perhaps a, a nice little PR spin that you can bring to it. Yes, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we found that from all of our research. Um, and I think the other thing that's interesting from the research is there's a lot of companies hiring heads of DEI and I, I think that's a very difficult job if the top business leadership does not believe in this. Absolutely. So it's an interesting trend in some degrees. It's a little bit of a fad right now to focus on this topic and to publish a bunch of metrics, which definitely helps. Um, but I think it comes down to thinking about the business in a different way. At Target, the head of DEI there says, basically, this is a business, this is a business function. Diversity and inclusion, is, it's not an HR function. It's a business function. They look at it across the whole supply chain, every part of the company, what they sell, who they sell it to, and, of course, the HR things. Um, and technology doesn't make a huge difference. I mean, you have to measure and do analytics, but it isn't, you know, you can remove some bias in recruiting with technology, but it's more of a culture problem or a culture um, strategy than anything else. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So um, maybe one more point from from the report. And then I know you're busy and we'll have to get on with your day. Uh, you, your report talks about how people view their role in society. 
Uh, that's actually something I do a lot of research in myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've found consistently how important that is uh, within the workplace and, and how people connect with their employers and with their jobs, how they find meaning and purpose. Uh, what, what specifically did your report find in relation to this? Well, I mean, my position and findings and thinking about this is that the best company, in the best companies, work is a manifestation of your purpose in life. You love your job, you love your work, you feel affiliated with the company, the mission, the purpose, you feel like the company is doing things that you want to be a part of, you enjoy the people you're working with, and it's just this wonderful part of your life. Um, you, you're engaged, you're in flow, you're learning things. Um, and that all does come down to um, a sense of purpose. I think human beings um, generally work because we want to do something for others. Or for, I'm obviously making money is a piece of it. But if the only reason you're going to work is to make money, you're probably not going to be happy no matter what job you have. Um, so when you find a job that you're good at and you really can contribute in your own personal way, you're going to be actually pretty jazzed about it, regardless of how much money you make. And um, we did a study on the pandemic, the response to the pandemic, and studied a bunch of companies that did respond and didn't respond. And the companies that, that were the most responsive reinvigorated and recommunicated their purpose and mission as an organization. We are here to make the world healthier. We are here to make people's lives better. We are here to feed the nation, etc. Those kinds of higher level purposes, um, get people, give people energy and a sense of uh, sustainability and resilience in difficult times. And, uh, you know, it's not just an ESG program and a website and something that looks nice in a brochure. It, it has to be part of the real company's mission. The other thing about having a sense of purpose, having run a few companies myself, it helps you during bad times when you're not, you know, when you're under competition or price pressure or there's a business disruption, it allows you to go back to your core and remind yourself what it is we do and why we're here. And so it's, it's good for business. It's good for people. It's good for engagement. Uh, it's good for everything. Yeah. Well said. Um, and I think that's a good place to, to stop for today. Uh, Josh, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. Uh, this is a tremendous report. I encourage listeners to go out and track it down. I'll put a link in the show notes and, uh, and, and please check it out. Uh, before we close, though, I wanted to give you, Josh, I wanted to give you a moment uh, where you could share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about sure. the Burson Academy, anything else that you would like to share, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Well, I'm pretty easy to find. You can go to joshburson.com or you can go to bursonacademy.com. And I'm also on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, final thought, I guess, I guess given where we are in the be- almost the beginning of April, we're starting to come out of the pandemic. I think we have to sort of consider the fact that almost everybody in the world has been through a year of trauma and we're going to we're all as excited as ever about getting back to our whatever normal lives is um and so i think this is a period of time where it's okay to give people some time off um give them a sense of joy for for a change you're going to have an incredible economy ahead there's no question in my mind the economy is going to boom for at least a year or two um and think about it as an opportunity to kind of reset your corporate 
culture in a really positive way. Now, not everybody's out of the pandemic yet. We're not quite there, but I think we're entering the upswing now. And, and I think in HR, we can really make that a positive experience for everyone. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, on a personal level, uh, my wife and I just got vaccinated. So we're, we're super excited about that. We have a family trip. You know, we, we've been just like everyone, we've been stuck. I'm in the corner of my bedroom right now, right? And people have been working from home. We've been stuck at the house. My six children have been doing school from home. Um, six children. You are <laughs> <and> so, busy. <laughs> we, we are busy. But you know what? We're getting away this weekend. We're going to a cabin by a lake. And it's exciting. So so the, I feel like things are turning. Like we're getting closer to back to some semblance of norm, normalcy and and I'm I'm excited for it and I know employers are excited for it. It's been, to your point it's been a hard time for leaders and organizations yeah. and employees for everybody. It's been a challenging time and I love your recommendation to just let people take the time that they need. So many people haven't been using up their um paid time off because mm-hmm. they didn't have anywhere to go. Let, let go 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 take a trip take some time off do a staycation whatever um reset uh get reinvigorated uh i i love all of that and you know it goes without saying but every listener um today should absolutely if you're not already go follow josh on linkedin go check out his website burson academy um uh, so many tremendous resources there continually being put out uh it's something i closely follow myself Uh, And uh, thank you again for joining me today, Josh. Uh, It's been a pleasure. As always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.